Well, friends, would you turn with me, please, to the words that we read in John's Gospel, John chapter 1, and reading again verses 40 and 42. John 1 from verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. It is more than possible to become incredibly disillusioned and incredibly discouraged when you hear a Christian giving their testimony or perhaps when you find yourself reading the life of a particular Christian. They go into all the details of how bad their lives were before they came to Jesus and then they speak about how they came to Jesus and they give the impression that ever since then their lives have been more or less uh, perfect. That their lives have simply been one of going steadily and faithfully in the same direction with never a bump on the road. But you know friends, if we're honest, we might say that the Christian life consists often of uh, starts and stops. It consists of peaks and then quick pitfalls. And the wonderful thing is that the Lord gives us examples in his word of men and women whose lives follow that pattern. Men and women who who were on the peaks one minute and then in the pits the next. Men and women who were in a high place one day and a very low place the next. And perhaps no one exemplifies this better than the Apostle Peter. He's a man who we will find saying that he is willing to die with Jesus one minute and within a matter of hours he's a man who's too scared to tell a young girl that he even knows Jesus. Well over the next few weeks we're going to be looking at the life of Peter together and what we can learn from him on what we might call the rocky road of discipleship. This morning we're looking at his initial encounter with Jesus under three headings. The prophetic announcement, the personal invitation and then the passionate witness. First the prophetic announcement. Look at verses 35 to 37. Here John focuses on John the Baptist's announcement concerning Jesus. We can begin by noting the context in verses 1 to 34. John, the author of this book, introduces us to a man sent from God called John. And on one particular day, priests and Levites are sent from the Pharisees and they go to John with the question, Who are you? And John answers by telling them that he is a voice crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. He continues by telling them that someone is going to come after him whose sandals he is not worthy to untie. On the next day, John makes another statement. He sees Jesus approaching him and he calls out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he goes on and he says that this Jesus is not simply the Lamb of God, but also the Son of God who ranks before him. Quite simply, John is a prophet who bursts onto the scene of history telling men and women that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Lamb of God, that he is the Saviour of the world, that he is supreme over all things. And with that context before us, we hear John issuing another prophetic cry. Look at verses 35 to 37. The author tells us that it was the next day. 
It's the day after John declared Jesus to be the Son of God and Lamb of God. It's two days after John declared Jesus to be the one who ranks before him. And on this third day, John sees Jesus walking by. He is standing with two of his disciples, men who have chosen to follow after him. One of the disciples will be identified as Andrew, as you see in verse 40. The the other disciple is left unnamed, leading many people to believe that this disciple, this unnamed disciple, is John, the author of this book. And as these three men are standing together, Jesus is walking by. Now, as he sees Jesus walking by, John cries out, Behold, behold, look at this, take note of this, the Lamb of God. This title, Lamb of God, is full of sacrificial imagery. In the Old Testament, we see that without the shedding of a lamb's blood, without the sacrifice of a lamb, there could be no peace with God. There could be no access to God. There could be no way of approaching God. And so in Genesis 22, we find that a lamb has to die instead of Abram's son Isaac. Then in Exodus 12, we find that a lamb has to die in the place of every Hebrew household. Then in Leviticus 16, we find that a lamb has to die on behalf of the whole nation on the Day of Atonement. And then in Isaiah 52 and 53, we find a lamb being prophesied who will not simply die for one person, not simply die for one family, not simply die for one nation, but will die for the world, will die for the nations. And here is John, and he sees Jesus walking by, and as he sees Jesus walking by, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold the fulfillment of all these sacrifices. Behold the fulfillment of all these prophecies. And upon hearing John's words, the two men follow after Jesus. That verb follow indicates that these men are shifting allegiance. Up until now they have been following John. They have been following this wilderness preacher, this desert prophet who was speaking about the way of God. But after hearing John's words about Jesus, they begin to shift allegiance. They they leave John and they follow after the one John is proclaiming, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, who will take care of all their sins. And you know, friends, as we hear these words, as we consider these verses, we've been given a reminder of who Jesus really is. John clearly sees Jesus and he categorically states Jesus to be the Lamb of God. He sees Jesus as the sinless, stainless, faultless, flawless Lamb whom God has provided to take care of any sin and every sin. He sees Jesus as the Saviour who is going to rescue his people, restore his people, Redeem his people, reconcile his people to God by taking their sin onto himself and dying in their place as their sacrifice, their substitute. And today, friends, that is the Jesus whom the gospel presents to us. A Jesus who has come into the world to completely and comprehensively take care of all our sins. A Jesus who has come into the world to pay the full price, the final price, for all the things that we're ashamed of. All the things that have displeased God. All the ways that we may have let God down. 
As many of you know, I'm a huge fan of the Irish rock group U2. They're a band whose lead singer Bono is unashamed in professing his Christian commitment. And a few years ago he said in an interview, I love the idea of the sacrificial lamb. The point of the death of Christ is that Christ took on the sins of the world so that what we put out did not come back to us and that our sinful nature does not reap the obvious death. That is the point. It should keep us humbled. It is not our good works that get us through the gates of heaven. He went on to say, it doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I am holding out for grace. I am holding out that Jesus took my sin onto the cross because I know who I am. And I hope I don't need to depend on my own religious performance. Today, friends, before we go any further, as we look back at the past week and as we prepare for a new week, let's behold the Lamb of God. Friends, let's behold the Lamb of God. This, this is our only hope. This is the only way that we can be right with God. This is the only way that we can approach God. This is the only way that we can address God as our Father through this Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, that's the prophetic announcement. We move to the personal invitation. Look at verses 38 and 39. John now focuses on the invitation issued by Jesus. In verses 38 and 39, we hear a conversation. Jesus notices the two men who are following him, and he speaks to him. Up until now, in John's Gospel, we have only heard people speaking about Jesus. Jesus now speaks for the first time in this Gospel. And he turns to these two disciples of John, and he asks them, What are you seeking? What are you looking for? What do you want? It's a probing question. It's a challenging question. Why have these two men left this popular, powerful wilderness preacher and gone after a man whom they have never heard, gone after a man whom they have never spoken to? What are you seeking? What are you looking for? What do you want? Why are you going after me, Jesus says. And the men reply, Rabbi, where are you staying? They begin with a word of respect as they address Jesus as Rabbi. They see him as a great teacher of divine truth. They see him as one worthy of their admiration, worthy of their attention. And they continue by making a request, where are you staying? They want to speak with Jesus and spend time with Jesus. They want to hear about who he is. They want to hear about why he has come. And so they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? Where can we spend some time with you? And Jesus responds to their request by saying, come and you will see. It's an invitation that is packed with promise. As Jesus says to them, if you come, you will see. We move from the conversation to the continuation in verses 39. We're told that they saw where Jesus was staying. They, they had asked him where he was staying. He had told them that if they came, they would see where he was staying. And now they come and they see where he is staying. And we're told that they stayed with Jesus the day. It's about the 10th hour, 4 p.m. when they come to where Jesus is staying. And they stay with him for the rest of the day. They stay with him throughout the night. They lodge with him. They abide with him. 
They remain with him. They, they continue on with him. That is going to be the mark of their lives. The characteristic of their lives from now on. They will be those who remain with Jesus. They will be those who abide with Jesus. They will be those who stay with Jesus. And you know friends as we consider these verses. We can see that Jesus the Lamb of God is a saviour who issues personal invitations. He invites these seekers to come with him. And to see where he is staying. And today Jesus continues to personally invite people through the proclamation of the gospel to come and see where he is staying. To come and spend time with him. It's not enough for a person to hear about Jesus. They must come and they must deal with him for themselves. And he personally invites them to do so as he says to every person through the preaching of the gospel Come. Come. I love Cathedral City Cheese and have it almost every day of the week. I I could have it on almost anything. Have it on toast, have it on chips, have it on sandwiches, have it on pasta. Uh, And I'm devastated that the co-op don't seem to be doing their buy one, get one free on Cathedral City anymore. But last week, Natalie was eating at Wensleydale with cranberries. And I asked her, what on earth are you eating? And she told me what she was having, and then she said, why don't you try a bit rather than passing comment at the table? And so I'm still in the honeymoon period, and I thought, well, to keep her happy, marital bliss, I will try a bit. And the amazing thing is, I tried a bit, and I could have eaten the whole block. It was amazing, just because I tried this bit of cheese that looked absolutely horrific to the eye. And you know, friends, in the same way, Jesus personally invites people to come and engage with him. Come and encounter him. Come and experience him. Over the last month, we have heard many preachers in this congregation speaking about the glory of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus, the grace of Jesus. But the question is, friend, have you come to him? Are you dealing and doing business with this Jesus? Last Sunday, Myrtle Campbell spoke about the Lord's work in his life. But the question is, friend, have you come to this Jesus? Are you dealing, are you doing business with this Jesus? Are you, as we sung in Psalm 34, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good? There there is no point in Psalm drinking a glass of Coke and saying, this tastes good. And Susie looking on and saying, well, it does look quite good, but not actually drinking herself. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and see, Jesus says. He's the Savior who issues personal invitations. The Savior who says, come. And so I ask you, friend, how are you responding to him? How are you responding to the personal invitation, come? And then third and finally, we have the passionate witness. Look at verses 40 and 42. Here John focuses on Andrew's witness concerning Jesus. In verses 40 and 41, we hear the confirmation. We read that one of the two men was named Andrew. He's described in this verse as Simon Peter's brother. Perhaps some of you have known what it is to be introduced to someone as the spouse of so-and-so. The sibling of so-and-so. 
the child of so-and-so. I, I can't stand going to back free church these days because I'm just seen as Mo Murray's son-in-law, Natalie's husband. I not really feel like my own person in my own right. And, and that was true of Andrew. Nobody knew very much about Andrew. It's very much a background figure, very much an unknown entity. But everyone knew about this outspoken brother, Simon. And we read that the first thing that Andrew did was find his brother and speak to him about Jesus. He is full of excitement, full of enthusiasm as he blurts out and bursts out, we have found the Messiah. Now the word Messiah means anointed one. Throughout the Old Testament we find prophets and priests and kings being anointed by God for his service, for the work that he has called them to. And by Jesus' day, there was an expectation that an anointed king would come. One who would rule over God's people. One who would establish God's reign. And Andrew, having heard the words of John the Baptist, and having spent just a day with Jesus, comes to the conclusion that this Jesus is none other than the Messiah. None other than the Christ. None other than the Anointed One. None other than God's agent of salvation. None other than the long-awaited, long-promised bringer of blessing. And the first thing that Andrew does is he finds his brother Simon and he says to him, We found the Messiah. We found the Messiah. And we read that Andrew didn't simply speak to Simon about Jesus, he brought him to Jesus. If you have time, maybe this afternoon, you can do a quick study on Andrew and you see that any time Andrew is mentioned in the Gospel of John, he is always bringing people to Jesus. So if you go to John chapter 6, he is bringing a young boy to Jesus. If you go to John chapter 12, he is bringing some Greeks to Jesus. And here in John chapter 1, he is bringing his brother to Jesus. And in verse 42, we hear the calling. As Simon stands before him, Jesus demonstrates that he knows who he is. He looks at him. It's a piercing gaze. It's a searching gaze. And having looked at him, Jesus speaks, So you are Simon, the son of John. Now it might well be that Andrew had told Jesus all about his brother, all about his father. But throughout John's gospel, we see that Jesus has a sovereign knowledge, a supernatural knowledge of people. He knows all about a person before they have ever encountered him. He knows who Simon is. But he doesn't simply know who Simon is. He knows what Simon will become. In the Old Testament, we find God giving Abram a new name, Abraham. Later, we find God giving Jacob a new name, Israel. On both occasions, God gives these men new names, indicating that he has a plan for them, a purpose for them, a calling for them. And here we find Jesus giving Simon a new name, indicating that he has a plan for him, a purpose for him, a calling for him. And the name that Jesus has for Simon is Cephas, Peter, meaning rock. And over the coming weeks, we're going to see how Jesus takes this this very flawed man, this very frail man, this very fallible and fragile man, and how Jesus molds him, how Jesus shapes him, as we said to the young people, into the man that he wants him to be. Well, friends, as we consider these verses, we're being shown the importance of witnessing to others about Jesus. Here's Andrew. 
A man who hears about Jesus. A man who spends just a day with Jesus. And the very first thing that Andrew does is he goes off and he tells his brother about Jesus. And then brings his brother to Jesus. Andrew is a man who is passionate about sharing Jesus with those closest to him. Passionate about sharing Jesus with his family. J.C. Ryle writes, The simple testimony of a warm-hearted brother was the first link in the chain by which Peter was drawn out of the world and joined to Jesus. The first blow in that mighty work by which Peter was made a pillar of the church was struck by Andrew's words, We have found the Christ. And you know, friends, that contains a great application for ourselves. In his commentary, Bruce Milne writes, Statistics repeatedly demonstrate that while gospel preaching is undoubtedly important, personal witness and friendship continue to be the primary means by which people are brought to Jesus. Is there someone in your life who hasn't bowed the knee to Jesus as their king? God's anointed and appointed ruler? Is there someone in your life who hasn't embraced Jesus as the Lamb of God who is able and qualified to take care of all their sin? Is there someone in your life who's in need of the glorious hope that only the gospel can offer and only the gospel can provide? It might be a friend. It might be a family member. It might be a colleague. It might be your next door neighbor. And I want to ask you, friends, will you make it your aim? Will you make it your ambition even this week to do everything that you can to tell them about Jesus and bring them to Jesus? We don't know. We can't second guess what the Lord might do through those whom we witness to. I was really struck by this when I read about a man called Edward Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a timid man. A soft-spoken man, a man who, who was just getting on with his life and one day a shoe salesman came up to him and this shoe salesman was very rude, quite belligerent, but Edward Kimball had a burden to tell the shoe salesman about Jesus and he said that he spoke to that shoe salesman with very faltering words. He, he didn't say very much to him, he just spoke to him about the love of Jesus. Who was the shoe salesman? That shoe salesman was called Dwight L. Moody, who became one of the most famous evangelists of the 19th century. A man who reached millions with the gospel. And the only reason he himself heard that gospel was through the timid witness of Edward Kimball. Andrew was a man who heard about Jesus. Andrew was a man who spent just a day with Jesus. And Andrew was a man who had a burning passion in his heart that others, including his brother Simon, would encounter the same Jesus. And the question I have for you as we close, friends, is will that be true of ourselves as individuals? And as a congregation, 
as you prepare to leave this building now? Will it be your aim? Will it be your ambition to tell those who are in your life all about this Jesus? Saying to them, we've found the Messiah. And will that be our aim as a congregation? That while we are engaged in a building project and while we are engaged in various other activities, we would never lose sight of the fact that our, our primary calling is that we would go to the people of Stornoway and the surrounding area and say to them, we have found the Messiah.